also just want to mention that I've been really fortunate to work with an amazing team of really collaborative scientists, and they are staff scientists, postdocs, graduate students, rotating graduate students, undergrads, and students from two-year colleges. They bring a real diversity of gender, ethnicity, race, nationality, experience, LGBT, perspective, opportunity, and culture. By incorporating these principles of diversity, equity, and inclusion in my lab, we've really sought to foster a culture of scientific excellence. Hi, I'm Testiet, your host and producer of the MPMI Microgreens podcast. And welcome to part three of our series on Jennifer Lewis. In part one, we looked at the research of the Lewis Lab with a special interest in the devastating citrus disease, HLB. In part two, we looked at how the Lewis Lab developed side projects and learned a little bit more about Dr. Jennifer Lewis as a scientist, a person, and a mentor. Today, we have one final episode for you. Today, we are going to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. So whether you call it DEI, IDE, or EDI, we are diving into how diversity, equity, and inclusion can foster a culture of scientific excellence. And unlike previous episodes in this series, we will hear from not only Jennifer Lewis, but wander through her lab and hear from postdocs, grad students, and undergrads about what these three letters mean to them. I identify as a woman scientist. That's Jennifer Lewis our lab leader in today's story. I come from a family, uh, my parents were different races, so I have different ethnic heritages. I also identify as a person of color. Now, I could tell you the textbook definition of diversity, equity, and inclusion, but I think we're beyond that. I think DEI is such a personal journey. It's one of those things you learn so much better about when you experience it. And really, I thought that Jennifer Lewis put it perfectly when I asked her what DEI means to her. So for me, DEI means making an inclusive environment where people feel like they can be their authentic selves. You know, I think that diversity can come from many different aspects. So there's visible diversity. There's also invisible diversity. So some diversity you can see, but some diversity you can't see. This can make it very complicated. How then can we create a culture where people can be their authentic self? I think it's really important not to make any assumptions. I think you have to be really careful of uh, whatever generalizations you might make, whatever implicit biases you might have, because I think that's where we get ourselves into trouble is where we think we know somebody just because of, you know, some impression we have. And I think it's really important not to make those kind of assumptions. Then you really listen to what the person is saying about their science or about whatever you know issues they're having with experiments and let them tell you what the problem is rather than you know deciding for yourself you know what's best for that person. You know, you want to talk about it from your own perspective, but you can't really figure out how to best mentor somebody if you don't listen to what they're telling you. So I think learning to be a better listener helps to be a better mentor. I couldn't agree more. So many problems could be avoided or solved with listening. But it's not just listening, is it? It's unassuming, judgment-free, ego-free listening. But in the end, 
What does this really bring to the research table? When we have a diversity of people, we get a diversity of uh, perspectives, of experimental approaches, of ways of thinking about things. And when we only talk to, you know, people who we think are like us, it's basically just hearing our opinions reflected back to us. When people are accepted for who they are, they're much more invested to take the time to do their research and to commit themselves intellectually to whatever problem they're working on. Now, sometimes listening is just not going to cut it. Sometimes you need to intervene. And this this can be very challenging, no matter who you are. I, I have kind of been a bystander at previous points in my career where I would have heard somebody say something and really thought it was not okay, but also felt like I couldn't say something because it was somebody in a position of power. But as a PI, I think I have more ability to promote that kind of environment. The bystander effect. Something sadly we can all relate to. Some say not acting is just as bad as the bad act itself, but the power dynamic, especially within academia, can be hard one to overcome. And what Jennifer did expertly breaks down this barrier, opens the conversation, and empowers her lab mates and students. When I was first starting out, I, I did have some experiences like that, and I felt really uncomfortable about how to deal with it because I was hearing about it kind of third hand. So I thought it was a problem, but uh, I didn't personally witness it. So I thought, well, one of the ways that might help is if people in the lab had to participate in a training so that everybody would have the tools to recognize if there was something happening that they weren't comfortable with and feel like they could intervene. And so I, I worked with a graduate student group on campus called Bias Busters, and they ran a workshop. And I think that was actually really positive because it's sort of created a culture that said DEI is important. This is something that we support, that we want to make everybody feel comfortable. And then if something is happening, here are some techniques you can use to say something so that it doesn't continue. It gave us some tools and techniques for the future so that we could kind of stop think anything happening. So kind of take a more, a more positive spin on it. And the other thing, you know, on the, the power side of it, I th that was also important to me that it wasn't, you know, the PI telling everybody, this is what you should do. I thought it would be more helpful if it was peers telling people, you know, these are the things that worked for us. And then everybody learning as a group. The graduate students in the lab are also very passionate about DAI. And so they have really inspired me to be more vocal as well, that we feel that DEI can really promote excellence. It's now time to meet some of these lab members. I had the opportunity to talk with Nate, Jamie, and Miel. Each had their own story to tell. First, let's meet Nate. So I'm uh, Nate Diplock. I'm a graduate student in uh, Jennifer Lewis's lab. I'm in my second year, I, I mainly focus on the plant immune system in my research. The equity part of that, not to be confused with equality, is something that uh, is getting emphasized more, which, which is great. And it relies on sort of recognizing the root cause of the outcome disparities that exist within our society and acknowledging that due to those root causes, we don't all start out equal. And if you give everyone an equal opportunity, that's an unfair system because we don't all start out equal. So 
the analogy that I've heard that I think is really helpful and that if there's a fence and you have people who are different heights and you give everyone the same size stool, only the tall people are going to be able to see over the fence. And the shorter people aren't. But if you give people different size stools so that they can all see over the fence, that's an, an analogy for, for equity. The fact that we're not providing the opportunity for everyone who is interested to pursue careers in STEM means that we're really not harnessing the true power of the human intellect. Equity ties back to listening to understanding where someone is coming from and what they need to succeed. What I think is so wonderful about Jennifer's DEI story is its leadership through guidance, not force. She really strives to give everyone the opportunity to pursue careers in STEM, from her graduate students to her undergraduate students. And so one of the things that we tried to do this year was to have undergraduates interview women plant pathologists about the research and about um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then they wrote up those interviews and we published them in one of the society journals. And so we tried to do that as a way to kind of expand the voices that are that are present in our field so that people could see, you know, there's more diversity there than Uh, maybe you'd expect. And the undergraduates also, you know, had the opportunity to talk to scientists about their experiences. Some of them talked more about the research, some of them talked more about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but they all brought up different kinds of issues. And so I think that was also a really good experience for them to kind of learn more about, you know, what what life is like as a a woman scientist. So why is this important? What does amplifying these voices really do? Allow me to introduce to you another member of the Lewis Lab, Jamie Colmo. Having someone of my identity or someone from the same background as me and just seeing them in everyday life. And I think this is important for me, especially because as a first generation immigrant who grew up in the Philippines, where everyone looked like me, it was easier to have a mindset of, okay, if they can do it, I can do it too. But then when I immigrated here in the U.S., suddenly I saw different people and not a lot of people of my identity in the workforce or in my education. And so internally, I started having a mindset of, oh, like, do I belong here? Is a Filipino girl welcomed in engineering or research or finance, which are career paths I've never really been exposed to when I was growing up in the Philippines. So there's a stereotype with Filipinos and becoming nurses and being part of healthcare, right? So that's what I guess we're known for. And like when I was going through the educational system here in the U.S., that's all I heard. And I was just like, no, I could be other things too. Like that stereotype doesn't equate to this, to our identity, you know? And that's when I really started realizing how important representation is with Dr. Lewis's lab. More than half of the members were women. I felt that having women mentors made science and research a little bit more approachable for me. I found that I gained a lot of confidence in myself in conducting research. And I felt that that bled into other aspects of my life. One thing I've always loved about academia is that in any given lab, you could have four or five or even six different countries represented. People can come from all over the globe to research together under one lab. Where else does this happen? But 
this does come with a number of challenges for researchers. I'm Mael Baudin. Uh, so I was a postdoc in Jennifer Lewis' lab for a little bit over five years. And so now I'm back in France. I'm French. And so when I moved to the U.S., I was like, my English was pretty bad. I had a hard time to understand and to speak and to see other people in the lab that are not native English speakers that, from, that could be a form of diversity. It was like just making me comfortable and included in the lab. But where will we go in the future? Will we continue to improve? Will we ever reach the goal of inclusion? I still think there is a very long way to go. It's like academia and the research in the lab is one part of the problem, but it's like kind of like the entire society, that the entire system that you need to change because in order to have people in the lab that are diverse, you need to not block those people at the college level. Like they need to be able to access college. And so I feel like in the US, for example, it's so expensive to go to college that there is probably a huge part of the population that will never even consider it. I definitely see more women in academia and I'm seeing more like communities forming to really advocate for representation and diversity. Encouraging movements could help to increase the representation and then we'll have more professors and scientists and and people in positions of leadership that could inspire and guide people from minority groups, women, individuals from the LGBTQ community. I want academia to be a place that, that feels inclusive for everyone in our society. And I want, I want to improve access to opportunities to, to participate in academia. I think that academia has to consider DEI as part of the recruitment process. You can't just look at somebody's research publications and their education. Um, You also have to look at uh, what they're doing to improve DEI. And I think if you take that holistic approach to recruiting new people, you make it part of the culture of academia so that people will invest in that area And then that will bring along a whole new generation of of students. And I think that could be done regardless of your career level. So, you know, as a graduate student, if you're wanting to bring in undergraduate students for your research project, you consider DEI there. You don't, you know, decide you're only going to work with one type of person because that's who you're comfortable with. So I think if we can incorporate that in, in everything we do, then we'll have a more diverse and inclusive and equitable community of scientists. Before we conclude today's episode, I want to remind people that this is just one story of DEI in academia. Across the U.S., these conversations are happening. And I'd like to encourage you to have these conversations with your own lab. And if you don't know where to start, share this episode with them or see if your institution has their own workshop. Labs are changing and institutions are starting to listen. But there still is a long way to go. But change starts with listening. We're really lucky in in academia and in research because in general, people are really open to these concepts. And so we're we're in an environment where people are open to improving, to uh, making progress. And those are all 
you know, that's a good place to be. It's we're not in an environment where nobody wants to hear about these things. So I think, you know, that's the first step towards making change. Um, it gives me hope for the future that we can continue to, to make progress on, on really important issues. Thanks for listening to the Microgreens podcast. I hope you enjoyed our three-part series on the Lewis Lab, from research to side projects to DEI. You can find these in all past and future episodes on Stitcher, Spotify, or Apple Podcast. I hope you'll join us for our next episode, which, if you don't want to miss, subscribe or follow on your podcast app. Feel free to connect with us on Twitter at MPMI Microgreens. Or you can find me on my other podcast, The Micro Moment, sharing science stories and news for the microbial enthused. I'd like to thank Jennifer Lewis for all of her time in the making of this three-part series. I would also like to thank Nate, Jamie, and Miel for sharing their stories with us, and to Blue Dot Sessions for the music. I'd also like to thank Jean Harris and Ashley Carlin for their help and guidance with the episode. And finally, I'd like to thank my co-host and producer of Microgreens, Raka Mitra, for all the help putting this episode together. We'll see you next time on Microgreens.